You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review's Northern Command, your one-stop shop of independent conservative thought, your only stop of independent conservative thought, where we relentlessly and consistently focus on the issues, policies, court cases that actually matter. Boy, did we have a crazy week, a crazy week with the Supreme Court. We thought it ended uh, Thursday. Actually, it didn't end. Today, more news. They refused to overturn a radical abortion case from the 11th Circuit in Alabama. We don't even have four conservative justices, much less five. Um, I'm not going to have time to get to that today. We got the fallout from the Democrat debates, which I don't care about, but there's one important point to make from that. We're going to have a special guest on in a moment, very important sheriff. And I wanted to say one of the things I noticed, and I swear to you, I did not watch that debate. I just watched you know, what people said about it. I wasn't going to sit and watch it. But everyone's focused on the fact that oh my gosh, look at how radical the left has become that they literally don't believe in immigration law anymore. And it's true. Because Republicans have refused to force the issue in an aggressive way, it has allowed them to take that ground without firing a shot, and they feel comfortable doing so because they're not held accountable. But I did notice that even these people, the most radical presidential candidates in the history of our country, still said except if they have a criminal record, except if they have a criminal record. Even they had to say that. And I I was jumping out of my seat. I said to myself, oh my gosh, imagine if you had a Republican Senate that actually put sanctuary legislation on, on the table. There's, as of 2013, very low estimate by DHS, 1.9 million criminal aliens in this country, meaning they have a criminal record aside from being here illegally, and they remain in our country. You know, folks, one of the one of the most important things, if you're a sheriff, you put yourself in the in the mind of a sheriff. Every day you wake up and you want to keep people safe. You want to do everything you can to prevent crimes, to you know, prevent the victimization of of needless, uh, you know, pe- peaceful people. But it, it's tough. It's a tough job because it's tough to find them. If you catch them, you got to have probable cause to hold them. Then a lot of times they get out on bail. Usually they get out on bail. Sometimes they could commit crimes even then. It's so doggone hard to land a conviction. They plead down. There's 50 million ways they can get out of convictions. And now, thanks to the Supreme Court, just over the last two weeks, there were four major cases um, dismantling Reagan's Armed Career Criminal Act. So despite what the bipartisan leftists say in Washington, that too many people are locked up for too long, in fact, so many people are locked up or never locked up or locked up for, for nothing. We had the case of the double rape of a disabled woman in Seattle. The guy served nine months. So it's very difficult. But what if I told you that there was a segment of criminality in this country 
that you had the legal ability and the, the logistical wherewithal to completely remove them from the universe of criminality, remove them from the country, so that you never have to deal with their recidivism ever again. Because remember, you know, most of the criminals, whether they're American or non-American, whatever demographic, it's the 10% doing the 90%. It's the career criminals. They always recidivate. And it's tough. With Americans, we barely lock them up. They get out. But when it comes to illegal aliens that should never be in the country to begin with, or illegal immigrants that were invited in, but then they commit crimes, they could be deported. Shouldn't automatically everyone be deported? Yet there's very few in law enforcement actually working to make that a reality. One of them is Sheriff Chuck Jenkins. As you well know, I'm a native of Maryland, lived here my whole life. Out to the west of me is Frederick County, beautiful area. Um, but it's changed a little bit over the years. We're going to talk about that. Um, Sheriff Jenkins, he's been sheriff since 2006, but he's been in the department for almost three decades. Um, he's worked uh, as an investigator on high-profile crimes, dealing with child abuse, sex crimes, homicide, all sorts of things. Um, really you know, extensive uh, record on law enforcement in general, but he's also a leader of the 287G program in cooperating, working with the federal government to just simply identify the aliens they have and ensure that they're turned over to ICE, a novel idea that current law is actually implemented. So it's an honor for the first time, and hopefully not the last, to bring on Sheriff Jenkins. Hey, Sheriff, how you doing this morning? Hi, Dan, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing all right. Sorry for that long filibuster there. Um, oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a bad habit with that. So um, could you just tell us a little bit about the challenges you faced in Frederick, you know, as your tenure has gone on since 2006 and okay. what you've been able to accomplish with um, the 287G program and other ways working with with federal uh, immigration officers? Well, let me start by talking about the county. You know, we are a rural county population, about 250,000 people. It's grown immensely over the past uh, probably 20 to 25 years. It's become a more diverse community, of course. Uh, it's largely still farm country, rural country. Um, and a great, it's a great place to live, okay? Still got that small town flavor, although it's a growing county. And the, dem the demographic is changing politically. Uh, we're getting a lot more folks coming out of the metropolitan areas who are more liberal-minded, more liberal views which is making some things harder in terms of uh, law enforcement. So let me talk about my tenure as sheriff. So, again, going back to when I was a criminal investigator on the street, I saw the increase in crimes committed in Frederick County uh, as far back as 15 years ago, committed by people in this country illegally and were committing crimes against the citizens of this county. When I ran for sheriff, one of the one of the issues I brought up, and at that time, if you go back about 12 years, the local population here in Frederick County was getting very frustrated with not only the crime, but the cost of illegal immigration. The fact that they were here taking people's jobs, the cost of social services, the cost of education, all those things were coming together. So when I became sheriff, one of the first things I did was immediately look into 287G program because I was familiar with it. And, and I look at that as another tool that I can use to keep this county safer. And over the course of 12 years, uh, 11 now with ICE, we've been in the uh, 287G program for 11 years, been a very successful program. Uh, 
in terms of we're basically doing this, Dan. When we lock someone up for a crime, whatever crime that may be, we are not releasing that individual back onto the street to commit more crimes. This is a tool that I can use to hand them over to ICE, and they are eventually deported. So, in effect, I'm taking, and let me go back and and throw some numbers at you. So, over the course of 11 years, we have served 1,577 detainers on criminals who have been removed from this county. And as a result of that, we are in the sixth consecutive year where we've seen huge decreases in serious crime. So I can statistically show you it's been a benefit to this county. The citizens seem to love it. I mean, it's been an issue for the past three elections for me, and I managed to prevail. So that that tells me the citizens want this program. You know, it's a, it's a very sensitive issue to someone like me. You talk about people moving up out from the metro area, so I certainly appreciate that. I live in the I-95 corridor. I live in Baltimore County. And, you know, I could just picture there's a lot of the liberals that say, hey, nice scenery, less crime. Hey, let me go out there. And then they don't understand what made it a good place and made it not like the eastern part of the state. And then they they bring in that that mindset and, and you know, try to vote for those type of policies. So you certainly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I'm fighting in the last two elections. So, like I said, the demographic changes. They want the quality of life that they have, and once they get here, they want to change it to where they came from. (laughs) Well, listen, I'm charged, and I took an oath, that I'm going to do every single thing I can to keep the county safe, the people of this county safe. Listen, this is my home. I was born and raised here. My life is here, my family, friends. So I've got an obligation, and I'm going to fulfill that obligation. And if a piece of that is working with the federal government, supporting ICE and their mission to remove criminals from this country and this county, I'm damn well going to do it. So one of the things that I find very pivotal pivotal about where you reside is that you're kind of in this middle ground, like you said. I mean, you've got the metro areas that are overrun with crime, but then now also criminal aliens, you know, from other countries as well. You got, you know, rural areas that haven't been touched by crime, but then you got Frederick where you know, especially Frederick City, it's it's really, you know, it has changed. Um, you know, just from the census data I look at, in 2000, just 7.3% of the city of Frederick was foreign-born. As of 2017, it was 18.7%, and that is, you know, that's really skyrocketing every year. Um, mm-hmm. Nearly a quarter of residents speak a language other than English at home, according to the community survey. Um, now look, you know, there's a lot of people come, they're wonderful people, no problem. But the reality is, as I quoted one of my articles, um, Asiano Davila, he was the FBI's program manager of the transnational gang task force in, uh, you know, the DC area, Fairfax County. And, um, you know, he said that where you see immigrant populations, you will see the gang. We're getting kids from other countries who have killed people down there, who have committed murders, who are coming here and recruiting, and they're coming here with that one goal, the gangs are sending them here. What are you seeing in terms of that gang activity in your area? We're seeing the identical thing here, although maybe not as many in numbers, but we do know that there's recruitment going on. Uh, We know that MS-13 recruits from Frederick back to their home country of El Salvador with with Frederick County or Frederick City being the the target destination area, they came here already having the gang affiliations. They come here as already having been criminals in El Salvador. 
um, there, there's a couple caveat. There's a couple things going on here. So we see the unaccompanied children who already have the gang affiliations, and they come here. They get they get tied up with the local gangs, and they commit serious crimes. And we also see the adults who come here, and are already pretty daggone hardened uh, criminal gang members. I mean, we've had some pretty uh, brutal crimes committed up here by these criminal gangs. So. Uh, yeah, although maybe not as many in number, their presence is here. They're going to embolden themselves and those, as those numbers increase. You know, one of the things I always found fascinating is that um, whenever we talk about illegal immigrants, people coming from very volatile circumstances, from violent countries, particularly young males, uh, the political debate all swirls around cheap labor. And, oh, I need, you know, the agricultural interests need labor. So you take a place, a rural area like Western Maryland, you're going to have agriculture. They bring them in. And I, I understand. I understand that they want, you know, the cheapest labor they could possibly get. That is a logical thought process. But what no one looks at are the other two pillars, culture and security, what that brings in. They might be hard workers during the day, but what else they do? Do you? Is that part of the equation in Frederick County with the ag interests? Uh, it, it is, and I tell you, I know a couple of uh, uh, local uh, growers who, who bring in now. Typically what I see here in Frederick County is that the local growers bring in the same people year after year after year. And typically we have no problems from those populations, honestly. Uh, so I don't necessarily see that. Um, uh, again, But, but, but that's H-2A. That's H-2A, right? I mean, the they're on visas. Right, correct, correct. We don't see a large number of illegals come, or those who, who don't have the, the, the visas to come here. We don't see a large number of them working in the, with the growers in the orchards and things like that. We just don't. Sure. That's so, because I think things have been going on so long, and uh, we just don't see it. Sure. So at least if they're vetted somewhat, you know, they have visas, that's one thing. But the ones that are illegal, yeah, I mean, we don't know who they are. Um, no, and that, that's the problem. We have no idea who's coming through those borders. Um, at any given time, and that, that's the whole argument about about this, you know, the wall, about securing that border. We have to be able to know who's coming across. Uh, right now, we're having, you know, you know yourself, uh, from every country in the world are, are coming through those borders right now. It affects public health, public safety, national security. Uh, you've got people from every country in Africa, from, from the Middle East, I mean, all streaming through the borders, and we have no idea who they are. Yep. It's 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 um it's unbelievable. It it uh, we we just reported on this, according to Homeland Security investigations, in one of the uh, caravans that had thirty three hundred people from Honduras, mainly Honduras, in January, there were eight hundred and sixty convictions in, among them already in America. Those were convictions in America. We have no idea the uh, criminal record, you know, outside America and how many more, but. I found that to be an astounding number, and and those were the ones who came in plain sight in a in a very uh, public caravan. You can imagine the gotaways and things like that, and you know you, you then see them in your communities. So I want to trace it to the communities. So your deputy, let me, let me, I'm let sorry. Let, yeah, me talk about the, let me talk about the culture piece. So you know, as we see people coming here from the Northern Triangle countries, where culture has been accepting of brutality. Uh, uh, all, all the violent crimes, the, the rape of young girls, the, the, that's that's a part of an accepted culture down there. Would you agree? Um, all there, I can tell you, part. Sheriff, is the numbers I was shown um, by people at DHS of the sex offenses 
shocked my consciousness because I always knew there was a pervasive culture of drunk driving. And I think that everyone sees that it's just borne out, you know, it's ubiquitous for many years. The sex stuff is really disturbing because there's a lot of that. We can show that in large numbers up here. And again, it's within their own immigrant communities. Okay. But the number of, of sex crimes against younger, younger girls, violent crime, violent sex crimes, you would be shocked at the numbers that we have uh, uh, arrested and brought into the program that have committed those types of crimes. So, and again, but the more we allow these these country these populations to come here and bring that culture with him and allow them to entrench themselves in our communities, you know, it's going to shock the conscious in the not too distant future because now we've allowed this to be here. It's we be we become accepting of it in a sense because we're not enforcing the laws. And I'm really worried about what's going on here. I'm worried about what our communities and our counties are going to look like a decade from now or two decades. We've had beheadings up here. We, we've had, uh, you know, we've had uh, police officers assaulted pretty brutally. Again, the, the young uh, females who have been raped and, and brutalized. And again, uh, it doesn't shock. It doesn't shock the conscience of the people where they come from. But it sure damn well does shock us up here. And, and now we've allowed this. Uh, this element to come into our communities can be tough to get it out. And, and isn't it true that, that I mean, I know Maryland in general, but I thought Frederick as well, certainly in PG County, more than other areas of the country, we are getting a lot of Salvadorans. We are. Yes, we are. Mm. Yeah. I mean, again, I see that in the census. I don't know the precise number, but we do have quite a large, actually what we're seeing, I can tell you coming through the jail right now, uh, the largest number uh, uh, coming through are from El Salvador and in Mexico. Mm. And so, Guatemala and Honduras. So I wanted to get into the mechanics of the arrests and cooperation with immigration law because there's a lot of misconceptions about this and what happens, what doesn't happen. The little naive me, I, I never worked in law enforcement. In my mind, I think you have to show citizenship for everything in the country, anything you want to do. So I all automatically always assumed that you know when you're arrested – we, we ask you a bunch of questions. We're obsessed with race. We'll always get race, even though that really has no bearings on anything. But the most important detail would be, well, hey, do you belong here? I mean, are you an American citizen? So I would think it's standard that every um, law enforcement arresting agency would automatically ask that. And then if the answer is you're not a citizen, the first question would be, oh, great. Well, you're a criminal. We, you haven't been convicted, but you know we know we're not seeing good stuff from you. Let's get you to the authorities to make sure we don't have to deal with this again. And I don't care if you're what race you are, what country you're from. Like I told people, the beauty of immigration law and sovereignty is it doesn't discriminate. I mean, you could be the most American-looking guy from Toronto, Canada, from three miles away from Buffalo. But if you're not a citizen, you don't have a right to be here. And if you're a criminal, you're deported. So... Where, do, where does that break down with other law enforcement agencies that don't do what you do? Okay, so let me walk you through our process just so everybody's clear on that. So let me say before I even talk about the program, let me assure everybody, you and everybody else, that there's no law enforcement agency in Frederick County or in the state of Maryland, and I'm pretty confident in saying this, that ask any questions in regard to immigration status while they're in, in, the, in doing their jobs on the street, whether it's a criminal investigation, a traffic stop, a response to a call for service. Nobody in law enforcement asks about an individual's immigration status. It doesn't happen. So let's set that aside. So this is the way it works in Frederick County under the 287 program. 
if Dan is arrested for a crime, any arrestable offense, that I put you in handcuffs and I walk you into our detention center in central booking, you are processed, you are fingerprinted, we photograph you, we put it into the central booking system, and we ask you a series of questions. And those questions involve everything from uh, what medications you might be on, whether you have any psychological issues, whether you're under a doctor's care. But along somewhere in the middle of this litany of questions, we ask you two specific questions. Where were you born and what country are you a citizen of? And we ask every single individual those questions. And if the answer happens to be anything other than the United States of America, then we can start an investigation in regard to your status. Now, I don't see how that's discriminatory, how it's unfair. So then we determine, we walk you from central booking, okay? And most, and let me say this, most people are honest in, in terms of where they come from, what country they're a citizen of. So then we take them to our, our ICE unit, a designated office that we walk you over to, and we ask you additional questions to investigate, in fact, where you're from, how you got here, how long you've been here. And again, most people are very honest with us because the consequences of not being honest are far worse than just, just telling us where you came from. So now once, once you're we identify that you are, in fact, in the country illegally, along with having committed the crime you were arrested for. We prepare the, the appropriate paperwork and the detainer, and that detainer then is, un until you're released from custody for the original charge, that detainer then exists, and then you're in the custody of ICE. It's that simple. So I don't see anything intrusive, anything in, that's discriminatory. There's no profiling involved. Every person of every race is asked the same couple questions. And as a matter of fact, let me say this. We've even found people, um, not not a lot, but, but a handful of people who thought they were in the country illegally. And after we run the check through our uh, uh, databases, they find, in fact, they are here legally. So, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see what there is to argue about the, the, the straightforward, uh, uh, undiscriminatory way this works. Could, could you describe some of the people that, thanks to the efforts of your department, um, were successfully turned over to ICE who would have otherwise been turned out on the streets? Well, I, I can, you know, maybe not case by case, but I can give you a, a, a whole list of individuals who were convicted of, of violent rape, sexual assault, uh, armed robbery, drug trafficking, human trafficking, um, assaults on police officers, of serious domestic assaults. And let me let me just tell you this. So the first individual, when we came online in 2008 with the 287 program, the first individual that was arrested and detained in the program and eventually removed was an individual that was stopped for driving like uh, 30 miles over the speed limit in a school zone in the middle of a school day under the influence of alcohol at three times the legal limit. Now, you would say DWI is not a serious crime. I would argue that it that is. guy was a threat to public safety as anybody who had, who had trafficked drugs or, or assaulted a police officer. Would you not agree? Well, I'll tell you this, Sheriff. The political class doesn't believe trafficking drugs is a serious crime. So well, I live it, and I live the overdoses every day, and it is a serious crime. <laughs> no, absolutely. But, but I'm saying that that's their mindset. Look, you could look at the people who would have potentially been released – after having served their sentences for the crimes they committed. And, and listen, a lot of these cases are pled down, okay? So they serve sentences for the lesser serious crimes. 
So a lot of these individuals over this eight years would have would have been released oh, yeah. back onto our streets to commit more crimes and often more serious crimes. And that that's a terrific point. I mean, I, I can't disclose the name yet, but um, Vicky, you know who you are. It's a listener of ours. You did a terrific job sending me information about this Somali refugee. So that is a legal immigrant, but but he's not a citizen. So he's a deportable alien. Um this guy, we're still. I'm still talking with ICE on, about this to get the history. He had 30 arrests, at least 30 arrests, um, since 2008. Tons of driving violations, drunk driving, driving without a license, then theft, robbery, and you know about about 15 convictions, three felony convictions, 12 misdemeanors, and I couldn't believe how the heck could that go on because. As we see, he barely served any time for any of that stuff. Um, and even then, it is, you know, like you said, it's always pled down. So, unfortunately, this happens all the time with Americans. I mean, this is, that's the story of our criminal justice system. The recidivism, in and out. They keep keep repeating crimes. But shouldn't, Sheriff, shouldn't we be able to have a system in place where anyone who we're able to remove – even if you're the biggest immigration expansionist around, that you want 5 million immigrants a year, fine. But at least we shall all agree that any one person that he's caught doing a crime, and I mean an illegal alien, any crime, a legal immigrant, yeah, we're not going to deport him on speeding, but, you know, certainly drug trafficking and things like that, he's gone. Well, you know, we do it here in Frederick County. So to me, it's a no-brainer. To me, it's another tool that I have the availability to use to keep my county safe. We should all agree on that. We absolutely, if we have the ability to remove someone from our population, our society, who is who is victimizing Americans or anybody else, they should go. So what I've done, Dan, is effectively, effectively build a fence around Frederick County. Because if I look 15 miles to the south in Montgomery County, if I look to Loudoun County, if I look to Hagerstown, if I look 25 miles away to PG County, they are, are becoming overridden with, with a transnational gang crime, with growing gang problems. And I, and I look at right here in Frederick County, and I see that we have one of the lowest serious crime rates in the region. I can't help but think but a piece of that success or, or that record, if, if you will, would go to the fact that we cooperate with ICE and we remove criminal aliens from our streets. Would you not agree? Well, so, so, so you, Sheriff, you could look your constituents in the eye and say, look— the people that I know I have the ability to remove, in other words, that the law doesn't compel me to release them on bond, like like with Americans, or you know, I, I we can't land a conviction. But those that are removable, you could bet your bottom dollar if they come into contact with my officers, we will know about it and we will contact ICE. Is that the gist of it? That's the gist of it. I, I can look every citizen, every constituent in the eye. And I have to tell you, Dan, uh, again, I don't – listen, I, I feel like – and people come up to me every single day, whether it's at the, the grocery store, at Lowe's Hardware, wh- wherever it might be, and walk up to me and say, Sheriff, thank you for what you, you're doing and your men and women are doing to keep this county safe. And again, remember what I said a while ago. Everything is within the jail. Everything works within the detention center. So it's not like we're out there on the street. We're not rounding people up. We're not targeting anybody, any ethnicity. It's simply after someone is arrested. And if you look across this country, crime after crime after incident where an American has been killed or victimized by someone in this country 
that could have been removed and wasn't. That, that should never happen. It should absolutely never happen. You know, I just heard yesterday that uh, the individual uh, up here in, uh, the other day in, uh, where was it, up north where the uh, truck ran into the Marine Corps. New Hampshire. Yep. Yeah. You know, he was in the, he was, he was in, he's in the country illegally. He was in custody at one point. He wasn't removed. He was from the Ukraine. So, so I did an article on that. So, um, he wasn't, so he wasn't an illegal immigrant. He was brought here as a refugee, but, but here's the deal. Um, it, it makes no difference because like you said, he had, um, a larceny conviction and he had two drug convictions and he had a DUI conviction. He had a bunch of driving convictions. Now driving, unfortunately, and that's where I think we do need to toughen up the laws. Driving is kind of a loophole with legal immigrants at least, but, um, the drug and larceny convictions made him deportable. Um, he was not turned over to ice because Massachusetts does not share driving information. And this was three years ago and five years ago. Those seven dead bikers, five of them Marines, lying on that highway in Route 2, Randolph, New Hampshire. Um, some of them died. Yeah, some of them died on the highway. I mean, they didn't even die instantly. They were still alive. We know every single detail, biographical detail now, of that father and daughter who unfortunately died of natural causes, coming here illegally. It's not our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. If anything, what we did wrong is not securing our border to dissuade them from coming. But we, but no one knows anything about that. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, Sheriff, I have these stories every day. Every day. It, it is... Um, I, have to, I have to tell you, I'm impressed with what you send me, the stories, because, listen, I, I'm focused on my job here. I don't always have the opportunity to see a lot of the detail and other jurisdictions, but it's really remarkable with what you come up with through your through your investigative work and, and, and so forth. But uh, I, I can tell you, Dan, I, I really feel confident that what we're doing here in Frederick County works. It's effective. It's the right thing to do. And uh, I'm, I'm just pleased to say that uh, it's been successful. And as long as I'm in this seat, we're going to do it. You know, I'm getting jealous of, of your area. You're, you're just 45 miles uh uh, west of me, but it's it's a different world. Uh, you know, I live in the Baltimore area, and I think it's kind of become a national punchline uh, that speaks for itself. Um, and and it's sad. So I just wanted to venture off. I know you got to go soon. Um, just to general criminality, uh, we I know we've spoken about this privately before, but one of the things I'm really pulling my hair out with and struggling with is that. The entire political landscape, not among the people, but among the political class, think tanks, political organizations, elected officials, has changed on crime in general. What do you think when you hear people saying our system is too harsh and we lock up too many people and we lock up too many people for too long on low-level crimes? I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Listen, I'm all about giving individuals a second chance, good people who, who, who make bad decisions and then do things that, that are wrong, and, and they should be given second chances and, and maybe lesser sentences for the lesser serious crimes. But I think they're come, we, we've gotten to the point where after, after a long, a lot of years of, of looking at it that way, I think we're starting to see that doesn't work. So I think we need to go back to certain criminals, certain certain crimes that are committed deserve harsh sentences, okay? And, and remember, most people are serving sentences for pled-down charges. Oh, yeah. Okay? So they're not really serving the sentences they should be getting. So I don't think that ar that argument doesn't wash with me. I think there are people 
who there's simply no other place for them but in jail, people who are a threat to society, a threat to people, um, you know, particularly your, your violent sex offenders. Um, so I don't necessarily th- think people are getting harsher sentences, especially not in Maryland, because uh, <laughs> under the Justice Reinvestment Act of a few years ago, if you recall, uh, there were a lot of sentences that were shortened. Uh, people are, be let, are being let out of jail and out of prison earlier, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Yeah, in we some had, case, we had the I beheading case. We had the beheading case in uh, literally two miles away from me. That guy had a massive criminal history, and he was out. So this happens all the time here. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think people we need to get back to stiffer sentences for certain uh, certain criminal elements for certain people who absolutely have proven they don't fit in society they don't belong outside of a, of a detention facility and that, that's just my opinion I'm, I'm known as a pretty I guess pretty hard-nosed guy I'm, I'm for law and order I'm for uh, listen giving people a second chance absolutely but some people just belong to be in jail sure and and what about a fifth and sixth chance I mean we we have you know so obviously you're familiar with the area. Um, there's, there's been, we, we average usually 350 murders in Baltimore. Um, you don't get the murders that much in the county, but what you do get just over, and I'm just over the county, the city county line, what you do get is the larcenies, the break ins, and they catch these people, often they're juveniles, and they, and, and, and they have six felonies within a half a year. That was the story with the one that killed the um, Baltimore County cop, female cop, a year ago, and they don't serve any time. They just don't. don't. You make another great point. Uh, When we're talking about juvenile, the juvenile justice system in the state of Maryland is broken, has been broken, and I don't even see it on the radar of, of, of being fixed at this point. So you're absolutely right. And there are juveniles, people under the age of 18 and even under the age of 16, committing pretty serious and sometimes violent crimes that don't belong on the street and nothing's being done. And as we saw in PG County, especially in Maryland, many of them are the foreign nationals hooked in with MS-13, which is recruiting younger and younger to do the most heinous crimes. Right. You know, I talked about the number of deportations that we've had out of Frederick County. Uh, 106 of those have been transnational gang members, most of them MS-13. So that's more than 100 gang members that aren't in Frederick County committing crimes. And, and it's gang members, and the total number was what, about 1,500 that, that you got deported? Uh, yeah, it was 1,570, I think, yeah. So, wow. I mean, that's, again, understanding that most criminals are career cr- criminals. 1,570, you multiply... I forgot, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the average would get six, seven felonies. Um, that's an awful lot of crime prevented for a relatively small county. Um, and that's a lot of crimes that haven't been committed, and how do you measure a negative? I mean, had, just, Oh, my gosh. Oh, Sheriff, I love that. How do you measure a negative? I made that point, you know, when Chuck Schumer held up that easel of the dead bodies in the Rio Grande River as if it was some sort of punchline, like it's our fault, like we did it. I said, you could line the entire gallery of the Senate with pictures of Americans directly killed by repeat offenders who could have been removed. But then I said to myself, there's a second half of that. What about the sheriffs like Chuck Jenkins who worked with ICE? What about the thousands of faces of people who are saved as a result of it that we'll never know about? That's right. You'll never know. You will never know. It is No one can can change my mind that this is not the right thing to do. Nobody can ever change my mind 
Um, my concern is this, that, that you know, I'm not going to be sheriff forever. Uh, at, you know, we know that. Uh, what's going to happen when someone else comes into this uh, position and says, you know what, I don't agree or I don't like the program? I'll tell you what's going on now. I'm the target up here of some of the local politicians, some of the county council, the county executive, uh, some people who don't like the program who are being used like a tool by some of these groups who are advocating against it. So I'm under some heat up here, but listen, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bend. I'm not gonna fold on it. Are you up for reelection in 2020 or 2022? 22. 22. Um, I'm assuming you don't have a website or anything like that. Um, I, I did. I kind of shut it down. It's inactive after the election. Okay. Well, I, I just want our listeners to remember, you know, that there's someone that actually cares about public safety these days. Um, when there's a diminishing few of those people. Um, do you have three more minutes or do you, do you have to go? Sure, absolutely. absolutely. So just, just one, one more point I want to broach with you because this is pretty maddening. We, we often talk about the narrative of how we pay for the rope to hang ourselves, the stolen sovereignty, the violation of the declaration of independence that we're going to celebrate next week, that governance has to be by the consent of the governed, that the sovereign citizens have to determine who we let in. And yet illegal aliens are given standing in court to sue us, to do anything they want. Could you talk a little bit about this this unbelievable case in Frederick um, that's been going on for, for uh, years, Roxana Santos, um, who has successfully sued your your department for enforcing right. immigration law, and then she got to remain in the country in order to continuously sue, thereby have more more kids born here who, in my view, are erroneously viewed as Americans, and she's still not deported. And probably won't be. She probably won't be. Uh, the, the suit has been settled in the sense that uh, she settled her portion, and it's public information. She got $100,000, and the attorneys who sued are actually looking for like $1.2 million. So we know what this is all about. <laughs> So, you know, listen, we, we were what the deputies uh, – and you have time, I'll lay it out for you. Sure. You, oh, no, I thought you had to run. I, I, I'd love for you to be on as much as possible. So when this happened back in, I'm going to say 2009, I think, and, and time flies. So when this happened, this uh, lady, Roxana uh, Oriano Santos, was sitting on the curb behind of a local shopping center – uh, by all accounts, eating her lunch, sitting on the curb. Now, this is the high crime. If you can look at one area of the county with a pretty high uh, uh, volume of, of calls for, for nuisance-type crime, shoplifting, destruction of property, vandalism, uh, pretty heavy call volume down there. So this is the middle of the day. Two of my deputies were doing what law enforcement does, doing daytime patrol checks behind the shopping center. As the deputies turn the corner of one end of the shopping center, uh, this lady grabs her lunch, grabs her belongings, gets up and runs. Now, would they not send a – if you were a police officer, this is what we do. We look for suspicious activity, right? So why does someone get up and run when they see a police car? So she gets up, runs, and hides behind one of these uh, storage containers. My deputies pull up, having seen this activity that brings it to their attention. They get out, uh, they walk around, they, they approach her and they say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Um, who are you? What are you doing here? Your, your typical non-intrusive questions that police have a right to ask. So when she identified herself by name, they ran her through uh, NCIC and CGIS. And after uh, a period of time, it came back that she was wanted by ICE for an order of deportation. 
Now, thinking back to when this happened, which was, uh, gosh, what, 10 years ago, roughly? At that point in time, these orders of deportation were considered to be the same as an arrest warrant at that time. And that's since been changed by the courts, where now they're not recognized as an arrest, an arrestable warrant. But at, the, at that period of time, they were. So, Well, I, I just want to stop you. It still is now. That is still the law. It's a well, lawless Fourth Circuit judge. So yes, it, it's yeah. it's not the, and, and and even if we want to, you know, I don't want to drag you into the whole discussion of courts versus the law. But even if we would believe in judicial supremacy, the Supreme Court has not ruled on that. Is that correct? That, that as far as I know, yes. Yeah. So um, you know, at that point in time, uh, my my people uh, through telephone calls, uh, they had her detained while they were trying to figure out what was going on, what to do. So I said, listen, we want her. There's an order of deportation. Take her into custody. Bring her to the jail. That's what my men did, like any other police officer would have done at that time. So um, as a result of that, uh, she she sued uh, for a couple million bucks um, for Fourth Amendment uh, issues regarding violation of her Fourth Amendment rights, illegal seizure, uh, illegal detainment. And uh, here we are, 10 years later, she prevailed. And I believe the, the opinion or the ruling of the, of the, cir- of the uh, federal court was a political decision. I think it was a political ruling. It wasn't based, would you agree, it wasn't based on the rule of law? It wasn't, it was worse than that. Um, and, and, and I want our listeners to understand, every day this is what sheriffs have to deal with. They swear an oath to uphold the law, and all of a sudden a court will flip the law on its head. Obviously, as we've noted many times, our audience is very familiar with this. They don't have any rights whatsoever to not get detained to get deported. You can't detain them to criminally convict them um, without the due process. They have Fourth Amendment rights, but but not in the context of deportation proceedings. Even if the original arrest was unlawful, which it wasn't, um, she's still deportable. Right? That doesn't that doesn't change that factor. So anyway, yeah. So so in um, I just want to read this for you. Justice Clarence Thomas said in Arizona v. U.S. in 2010. Quote, states as sovereigns have inherent authority to conduct arrests for violations of federal law unless and until Congress removes that authority. So you guys enforce federal laws all the time, but somehow when it comes to this one, it doesn't matter. Absolutely, and that, that's what doesn't make any sense. makes absolutely no sense. And even worse for us at the time, uh, every, you know, the, the, the opposition and the people who, who detractors of the 287 program – Tied, tried to tie this arrest to the program, had absolutely nothing to do with it. So these were two deputies who weren't trained in the 287G program, were not a part of it. They were two regular patrol deputies doing their job, simply made an arrest that was a lawful, legal arrest, took her into custody, and as, but as a result, 10 years later, uh, we, 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 well, we didn't lose because we never made it to court. The insurance companies decided they were going to settle, which is yeah. always the case. So I never got my day in court. And, and folks, this is how random political lower courts could allow their cancerous decisions to remain unchallenged when we know – I could promise you the Supreme Court would not rule this way even though I'm pretty down on the Supreme Court. Um, but it doesn't matter. I mean the, the, the Fourth Circuit is, is just as bad as the Ninth Circuit in recent years. Terrible. Um, it is it is pretty unbelievable in this case. And again, I want, I want, I want to note, Sheriff, eight USC sixteen. I'm sorry, what? 
I was going to say the Fourth Circuit used to be a pretty conservative court. Yeah, Obama remade it, and and he had a and and Trump will not have an opportunity because um, they're all young. Um, so it's it's gone, and 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 we're screwed in this area. But eight USC sixteen forty four unambiguously says, "quote No state or local government entity may be prohibited or in any way restricted from sending to or receiving from." Federal, meaning federal officials, information regarding the immigration status of a foreign national. Um, it, it is straight up law. It's just like everything else in immigration law. The laws aren't broken. They're straight up. They're there. Even if the law didn't say that, they would have authority unless Congress explicitly said a negative, put a negative on it. But it gets worse than that. Um, so in the final disgrace here, um, it turns out that she has several more American-born children. So because she was able to sue, she was able to stay here. And isn't it true that now her husband, who came here illegally, is is seeking asylum? Uh, no, I haven't heard that. I have not heard that. So that you have one up on me. Wow, that that's interesting. I'll have to send you this story. Um, it's it's pretty unbelievable. It's uh, this is from WUSA nine. Uh, it's ABC affiliate. Um, arrest of prominent immigrant mom. This is the one we're talking about in Maryland, spreading fear. And they talk about. Um, I'm actually just looking at this right now, where they say, doo, 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 "Where is this?" Um, yeah, that her husband is is uh, is seeking asylum. The children's father. The children are in the care of their father, and the father is seeking asylum in the U.S., according to CASA attorneys. You know, that's another thing, Sheriff. Could I can't figure this out. There's 1325 of 8 U.S.C., right? 1325 is illegal entry. 1324 is where you're not allowed to harbor, transport, or induce illegal immigration, how is it that Casa de Maryland literally transports illegals around and they're not brought up on 1324 violations? I can't imagine. And plus, they're funded with money from the state of Maryland. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I mean, this is the thing. Do we as citizens just not matter? This entire issue has become insanity. It really has. And, you know, and I go back to the point, if, if every sheriff – Every detention center, every law enforcement chief would agree to stand up and do the right things for their counties, their jurisdictions, their cities. Wouldn't it be a, a wouldn't 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 America be a wonderful country again? And and that's the thing. There's 1.9 million criminal aliens as of 2013. By the way, that's before the entire um, Central American influx that started in 2014. So you can only imagine what it is now with all the MS-13 and Serrano's 13 and you know 18th Street gangs coming in. But my question is that, my gosh, you know, we're we're minding our own business. None of us went down to Guatemala or Honduras and landed boats and started grabbing people and detaining people. We were minding our own business, trying to have a country here. We don't hate anyone. We have a very generous immigration system, and they come here. And they always say they commit a low level of crime. But what I can't understand is then why would they be scared of 287G? Because if there's so few of them, well, you're not going to be netting too many of them, right? I mean, they're not going right. to be going to jail. That's true. That's exactly right. 
Well, I, I just I hate to think where we're going. I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers are. I, I know the numbers, and I, I can tell you right now, I just got back from the sheriff's conference last week in Louisville, and the things I'm hearing down there are, are horrific in terms of the collapse, of the entire collapse of the border. We're looking at potentially hundreds of thousands, if not maybe millions, coming from the Northern Triangle, from South America, uh, mostly Brazil, Venezuela, that are going to come this way. And this is going to be in... Uh, basically a, a mass migration invasion that we can't stop. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this, you know, hundreds of, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not, again, millions of people coming this way? And we're not even, you and I are just talking about the law enforcement, public safety piece of this. Now we have to get into how are we going to sustain the cost of health care, of, 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 of the social services, of how do we feed them, how do we house them, how do we take care of them, Something is going to something's going to break. It, something it, really is bad is going to happen. It is hundreds of billions. We've written about that um, using the methodology of Stephen Camerata from CIS. If you multiply um, the one million illegals that will come this year, uh, at this pace, will probably surpass that. Um, you multiply that by, oh my gosh, it, it, the the factor that he had the lifetime cost it was about one hundred eighty thousand a pop. And that's a very low number. It, it works out to be several hundred billion. And his methodology was for Mexicans, which are who are slightly more educated um, than the Central Americans. So, yeah, I, I mean, and that's my problem. It's like, do Americans not matter? You listen to the politicians and even Republicans. It's like, yes, we just want to do good for the migrants. So we did, well, all we need is more more funding, better detention. Like, I get it, but. Do we not matter? The country is of buy-in for the American people. The, if you want to open up a missionary in, in Central America, other parts of the world, God bless you. But but the assets of the United States government, the Border Patrol of the United States government, the security apparatus, the social services is for the people of the United States. I just – I I don't understand why that's so hard. Well, I kind of frame it like this, and then I do have to run. So I kind of frame this like in, in my in – my humble or my view which is listen in my view america united states of america is the lifeboat of the world it's the life raft that everybody wants to get to okay but that life raft will only hold so many so what happens when we bring aboard too many and and, and the life raft of the world collapses then there is no more that's what i'm afraid of you you can't both flee the worst areas of the world and bring in the worst areas of the world at the same time and, and, and that's really, again, where numbers, time, and process matter. You know, numbers matter because you bring in a couple people, you could assimilate them, that's great. It works for everyone. You bring in too many, you're bringing in what everyone agrees is the problem, and then the process matters. There's no vetting. I mean, we should have zero crimes from immigrants, not because it's worse if they commit a crime than an American morally or in terms of damage. It's... It's it's avoidable. It's that you you could pick your immigrants. You can't pick your native born jerks. I mean, you're stuck with them. Um, there's nothing you can do. Natural law. You can't deport them. But these guys. I mean, everyone should be vetted. And then if we make a mistake, the first arrest. All right. So I mean, there's a lot of wonderful people in this world who won't do drug trafficking and kill people and drunk driving and get into gangs. Why do we have you? Yep. It's it's it just it's just plain and simple. Any anyway, sheriff. I know you got to run. Thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for your common sense. 
I, I really just think you you sheriffs need to get together and try to get a voice because right now you really don't have one. You yeah, really don't have a voice in Washington. Thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Anytime. I'll tell you this. At the conference, again, going back real briefly, there are 3,084 sheriffs in this country, and together we have a lot of political clout that we're not using. We're not taking advantage of and, uh We'll see where it goes. I, I'm not optimistic that much is going to change. I think it's only going to get worse as time goes on into the election. But uh, let, let's uh, – Gosh, let's hope we can really turn things around. But thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. There you go, folks. That was Sheriff Chuck Jenkins from the great Frederick County. Isn't it refreshing listening to a sheriff? I mean, these are some of the best people I've met. There's there's so many of them, and, and most of them are really very good. It's just the problem is that the ones that we need to be the most vocal, the ones with the most problems in the big metro areas where you have the most criminal aliens, the politics dictates that they just have to toe the line. Some of them are, you know, corrupted, but others, even in those areas, are good. They have a law enforcement mindset. They just can't do anything. But I will tell you, I mean, even P- Prince George's County, which is, I mean, left of Lenin, after the MS-13 murder... That and the case where they let these guys out after being brought in on murder a year before, even they said they're going to change policies of you know now cooperating more with ICE. This is an issue the left can't win on. You could remake the entire political landscape just on this issue. And I'm telling you, even Democrats have to have to admit it, and the Senate Republicans will not. Bring sanctuary legislation to the floor. And again, notice how sheriffs don't have time to deal with this stuff. They're just good lawmen. They have good common sense. I I, I told the sheriff privately, I said, like, do you realize we're losing this issue on crime? Not with the people, but with the political class. They don't have a a, a lobby group and they badly need one. I offer to do pro bono work. Because um, their perspective is not being brought out. And, and again, you saw how you know, he started to say, oh, the law used to be that, you know, oh, we could arrest them. It would, it would automatically trigger a warrant. It's still the law. It's the Fourth Circuit made it up. Actually, it wasn't even, the, I, I believe, the Maryland district judge was actually actually ruled the right way. It was just the Fourth Circuit. But now, at least in the Fourth Circuit states, you're going to have a number of people that, criminal aliens that needlessly get let go because the law enforcement is hamstrung. Do you understand how our laws are being stolen from us? You could disagree on certain things or are gray, but they'll just flip the laws upside down. And they do it for people who don't even belong here. It's one thing if you do it for one group of Americans. This is the essence of the Declaration of Independence being just ripped, ripped to shreds. And like I put out on Twitter, I have my famous diagram of the system of government we adopted in 1789 
and then the prevailing system by the political class today. Either we have three branches of the federal government and 50 state governments all having to uphold the Constitution with their respective powers, or we have the Constitution embodied exclusively through the courts, and they stand atop the system of everyone, and they get to decide everything. And yet Chip Roy is the only one. He tweeted out my article. By the way, you got to read it. Lincoln's Legacy. How there's nothing stopping Trump from asking a citizenship question. I make the case of what Trump needs to do on the census question and how he needs to articulate it. Don't wrap yourself in the legacy of Andrew Jackson. Wrap it in the legacy of Lincoln. Very simple. Very simple. What did Lincoln articulate? What did Lincoln articulate in his first inaugural address? What was the principle that we're talking about? We're not talking about, you know, one individual case or controversy. He laid out a principle in that um in that inaugural address. We understand courts have a check on the other branches. They have an avenue of power to render judgments for individuals. But A, they don't even have the force to inf- the, the power to enforce even their powers. But then there's something that's totally not in their power. When Lincoln said he rejected the notion that, quote, the policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole people. I want you to understand how what we're trying to articulate here. Lincoln articulated that almost 170 years ago, perfectly, 160 years ago. The policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole people is to be irrevocably fixed by decisions of the Supreme Court the instant they are made in ordinary litigation between parties and personal actions. It's funny, 160 years later, I still can't articulate my point better than he did. Everyone's confused. Well, what do you mean? The court said the court could issue a judge. But it depends. You have a civil litigation. You have a criminal litigation. Okay, so the issue of judgment. But you can't just say, the census should be like this. Election process should be like this. Border should be like this. When life begins is like this. Marriage is like this. You, you can't do that. You can't be the sole and final arbiter. Really, no arbiter but certainly not the sole and final arbiter upon vital questions affecting the whole of the people to be irrevocably fixed by them simply because they're made in ordinary litigation between parties of personal actions. This is the most important question that needs to be dealt with. We are at a standstill in our republic until this question is answered. Do you agree with Lincoln? Or do you agree with Douglas? Do you agree with Lincoln or do you agree with Roger Taney? Very few people have made this point. I made this point in my article today. Abraham Lincoln promised to to follow the law, not um, Dred Scott. 
on March 4th, 1861 at that inauguration. Do you know who was sitting right next to him on the dais? Chief Justice Roger Taney. He had to sit there and, to paraphrase Justice Scalia, be reminded of his impotence and his ability to affect vital questions affecting the whole of people because he had to sit and hand the Bible over to Abraham Lincoln and administer to him personally the oath of office when he would become president to completely make the Dred Scott opinion irrelevant. And he went on to, you know, because Dred Scott said you cannot uh, make blacks citizens because they're property. And Abraham Lincoln's like, well, wait a minute. Citizenship questions, questions pertaining to citizenship belong to the executive branch. And he issued them passports. He issued them American citizen documents. Those decisions do not belong to the court. As I noted at the end of my piece, the only, so Scalia, this was the last line in his famous Obergefell dissent in the gay marriage case. And he said, more and more as the judges continue to overstep their powers, eventually one day we're going to be reminded of our impotence. And he meant, because like, it's all a house of cards. We don't have power over this stuff. And even if we did, we don't have the power to enforce it. The only point about which Scalia was wrong when he predicted that his fellow judges would one day be reminded of their impotence is that there are no longer any men like Abraham Lincoln left to issue that reminder. Well, we got Chip Roy as a, as a you know freshman House member. God bless him for that. Um, but the reality is there's nobody else. There's nobody else. And, um, you know, at some point you got to make a stand. You just today. Alabama had a common sense law. Barring the dismemberment procedure of abortion and the 11th circuit said you can't do that and the supreme court refused to take it up meaning they are green lighting that clarence thomas said none of these decisions are supported by the text of the constitution none of these abortion cases how do we allow that to go on but it's true of immigration it's true of so many issues Nothing, don't doubt me, folks. Nothing matters until this issue is dealt with. Now, I'm going to take a little R&R, going with my family to a va- you know, rural vacation home, have a couple days with the kids. I'm not going to go until Monday. It's going to be out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, we're officially off. That is Independence Day itself. I will definitely have a show on Friday. I don't know yet if I'm going to be able to record an extra one for Monday before I go away. So I don't want to promise it. But until next time, hope you guys enjoy your time off as well if you're taking time off. Help me. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your your tips on stories. Can you always email me at dharowitz at blazemedia.com? Tweet me at armconservative. I need your prayers. 
We all need each other's prayers. There is so much evil going on. There's so much truth not being spoken. And again, what's so sad is a lot of this isn't even, it It, it, it wouldn't be political if we had a movement forcefully divulging what's going on. It would change the landscape. It would serve as a check on these people and they wouldn't be able to so openly do this stuff. But no one holds them accountable. Instead, we just got a bunch of Teletubbies on our side. So with that, we're going to sign off here. May God give us some sort of some sort of path, open our eyes to do the right thing in his eyes. Till next time, this has been another episode of the Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.